Hey, Tablet Show fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. The Tablet Show, Episode 129, with guest Rocky Latka. Recorded live Friday, February 28th, 2014. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Rocky Latka about the latest incarnation of CSLA. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, empowering over one million developers to create compelling app experiences across any screen. Learn more at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back. It's the Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard, and we're here for the next, oh, I don't know, hour or so. Yeah. 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 What's up, man? No, you know, nothing much. Plunking away. Crazy schedule. Too much travel. Can't complain. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I had... um, 10 or 11 or 12 uh, 12 year olds in the studio today they were doing uh, songs about math <laughs> awesome my daughter's middle school class that's cool yeah they had a great time and and it was amazing actually because the math teacher said for the first time the sixth grade girls and the eighth grade girls sat at the same table together and are now singing together Whereas they were, you know, sort of not in the same clique before. Oh, interesting, yeah. So, the, the music brought them together. Ah, oh, that's sweet. Isn't that sweet? All right, well, let's roll the uh, crazy music here. Hit it. Hit it. All right, buddy, what do you got? Something completely unrelated to development. Love it. It's a new toy. Toys. This is a toy that I was introduced to by uh, one Chris Telfer, who I met a couple of days ago out in San Francisco, Richard and I were out there at the Computer History Museum mm-hmm. doing an event uh, on the Visual Studio Modern Apps Road Trip, the last event, uh, which was great. And we recorded a couple shows there that are uh, that you've probably heard. Anyway, Chris was doing a, a video for us, and he brought out this. He says, I, I got some great shots with my Steadicam. Now, Steadicam is the name of a company, and it's S. T-E-A-D-I cam, steady cam. Right. Expensive harnesses for making movie cameras float very smoothly on when the people are wearing them, right? You got it. And big and expensive and heavy, like, it hurts to wear yeah. these things. These harnesses are like, you know, 20, 30 grand and up. And, uh, but they make a camera float. Like, you, you can move all around and walk all around and even run in them and the camera looks like it's flying. So, the, however, he, I said, you, you brought a steady cam. He goes, yeah. And he reaches down under the table and he pulls out this little thing. And it's a, and it's steady cam brand, but it's called a Merlin 2. And he's got his DSLR camera. He puts it on top and he tweaks and does a few things. And he says, yeah, it's kind of hard to get set up. And I'm like, where did you, how do you, what, did, <laughs> where? And then he shows me the footage. Oh my God. So it's steady. It's just, it's as good as any steady cam footage I've ever seen. Nice. And here's the cool thing $3.99. Wow. 400 bucks. 400 bucks. And I said, Excuse me, stop talking. I'll be right back. I'll, I'll be right back. I got something to do. <laughs> I'll be right back. Yes. And, and I bought one. It was here waiting for me when I got home. And uh, I got it at BH Photo. And it took me three or four hours of messing around to actually get it balanced correctly. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, it takes a while. But once you get it, oh, my God, you, you basically operate it with your thumb. 
Wow. You hold it and you can move it around. You can swap it around left, right, up, back, and it does not move. And you just glide it gently with your thumb to move it up, down, back, and forth. It's that simple. So here's the, uh, if you want to buy one of these, and I recommend one to anybody who's into photography and, and really cool video, tinyurl.com slash cheap steady cam. Now, this is not steady with an I, it's steady with a Y. So cheap steady cam, steady, S-T-E-A-D-Y cam. And that's at uh, bhphotovideo.com. It goes to uh, the Merlin 2 camera stabilizing system. It's 399 bucks, and it's awesome. And if that's you want cool. to also, Chris Telfer, the guy who did the video for us, is also a musician. And uh, uh, we geeked out on uh, Adobe uh, Audition, which we use here in the studio, and we've been using it for a long time. Uh, swapped music and are now fans of each other. So if you want to check out his music, go to chrisTelfermusic.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-E-L-F-E-R music.com and check out his stuff. It's really good. Nice. Yeah. Shout out to Chris and thanks. Love it. Enjoy, guys. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 124 and that's the one we did with Dominic DeNicola, who's talking about the evolution of HTML, where we went beyond HTML5 and some of the interesting stuff that's going on in there and different open source libraries, all the projects he's worked on. And uh, somewhere in that show, and I can't remember exactly where it was, we were talking a bit about custom elements, some of the web component extensions that uh, haven't really come yet, but have been talked about a bunch. And our own Jacob Rossi, who we recently had on the show, yep. responded to uh, Dominic's show with uh, regarding custom elements and IE, and kind of useful that a guy on the IE team <laughs> is responding here. Yeah. He says, uh, we're definitely excited about the future that web components families like custom elements, HTML imports, and Shadow DOM promises to bring. I remember back a few years ago when our colleagues at Google invited a few of us from the other browsers up to their hotel suite after the W3C's annual technical meeting and gave us the elevator pitch for web components. As a web developer, I was pumped. With my browser implementer hat on, I thought back to the many component models Microsoft has built, including those for web. And anybody remember HTC's? Oh, yeah. There is a lot of power in components, but we also know there's a lot of ways that could fail to succeed or worse, cripple web performance. Anybody remember active? Uh, Shh, never don't mind. say the A word. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been working with the W3C and also directly with the components team at Google on making sure that we get a kick-ass API. Right now, there's a passionate discussion dubbed the cat in the hat about how much encapsulation there should be for the component CSS styles. Can I override any style in the component that I host? Or does the component surface up individually styleable parts to its host? These are the kinds of important things to think about. I honestly don't know if and when IE will ship support. The first step will be getting consensus with the browsers and web developers on how it should work. And we're close, but it's not quite there yet. Hmm. What a cool comment! Yep. <laughs> It's like, yes, we're working on it. And he provided a link to the visible discussion that's going on between these teams with the W3C to actually figure out what it should look like. I think we've come a long way, don't you think? It really has. And, you know, I remember sitting down with Doug Crockford and him complaining about how nobody in the W3C talks to each other and stuff. And so this that show really gave me uh, hope. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jacob, we read your comment on the show. Thanks so much for providing it and for being a great guest as well. A tablet show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest, our good friend Rockford Lotka, is the author of so many books we can't even begin to name them. Uh, he's a Microsoft software legend, a regional director, an MVP, and an INETA speaker. Rocky speaks at many conferences and user groups around the world and is a columnist for MSDN Online. He's a principal technology evangelist for Magenic Technologies, one of the nation's premier Microsoft Gold certified partners dedicated to solving today's most challenging business problems using 100% Microsoft tools and technologies. Welcome back, Rocky. Always good to talk to you. Good to talk to you guys. How you feeling, man? 
you know, I am doing better all the time. Slowly but surely, I'm improving. You know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon said the same thing on Sgt. Pepper's. It's getting better all the time. So you're in good company. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's great to hear. Great to hear. So first of all, before we get into the, you know, CSLA, I just want to touch back on the one of the last things we talked about, which was, you know, your your take on HTML and JavaScript taking over the the landscape in the business market, business software. Uh, are you still still bullish on that? Yeah, I'm still pretty bullish. I think that uh, even if WinRT is successful, and, and I think they have a good shot at it, um, but even if it is successful, it's not at all clear to me that um, we're ever, or, well, I shouldn't say ever, but in the near future, that we'll get back to uh, somewhere where 92% of all the computing devices are running one operating system. Sure. I think it's pretty sure that that is never going to happen again. Yeah. Well, yeah, never is a long time. But yeah, that's true. It, probably not, you know, for the foreseeable future anyway. And it's just economics, right? How can, if I'm a business person wanting to build some business software, how can I make it run on all of the different devices that I've no longer got control over? Or, or I have minimal control over. Mm -hmm. And how do I do that it, without writing and worse yet, maintaining all of the client side software uh, over and over again for the next like decade? Mm. And so either you figure out a way to standardize the client devices so that you've got one programming model, uh, which we, I think, just agreed we can't do. Uh, or you come up with a programming model that is available across all those platforms. And, you know, there are, I suppose, a few, but they're basically either uh, JavaScript-based, or they are JavaScript, or it's Xamarin. I mean, those seem to be the only uh, real options. Right. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to um, check in with you and just see if you, uh, if you, if anything uh, has uh, changed in your viewpoint. Because, you know, things change. That's all. They, they, they do. Um, and I, I do think with, with any luck, I've got my fingers crossed uh, and my toes, uh, we won't actually have to write JavaScript. We'll be able to write TypeScript or, or you know, something with a higher level of, of uh, abstraction. But I certainly hope so, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're here to talk about CSLA 4.5.5. On Windows 8.1? Yep. A new version of uh, your amazing uh, uh, framework for business objects and in uh, business applications. Yeah, this latest version uh, takes advantage of uh, the work that Microsoft did between Windows 8 and 8.1. And uh, also, even if we step outside the Windows world... Um, a colleague of mine put a bunch of work into this so that it now works on uh, uh, Android devices via Xamarin. Too. Great. Well, before we get into the new features, let's um, let's give the uninitiated a introduction to CSLA. Well, in short, CSLA is a way of creating a reusable business layer for your application, and that application might be uh, have a web interface or a Windows or XAML uh, or tablet interface. Uh, but ultimately, the idea behind CSLA is that you can write and maintain your, your business logic in a way that's clearly separate from the uh, implementation of your user experience or UI. Okay. And does that business logic exist on uh, wherever physically you want to put it, whether it's on the client or on a server or on a in a service or wherever it doesn't really matter to CSLA. That's correct. Yeah, CSLA. One of its core tenets is uh, something called uh, location transparency. So your business logic can, if, if your client can handle it, your business logic can run there. And if you want to run it on the server, um, probably what is ultimately unique about CSLA um, compared to anything else that I'm aware of 
is that it also uh, supports a concept called mobile objects where uh, behind basically what this means is that you can run your business logic on the client and on the server, which if you're building a robust smart client application, you know that you want to run as much of the business logic on the client as you can in order to give the user a, a highly interactive experience. But there's some logic that can only run on the server, at mm-hmm. least efficiently, mm-hmm. you know, things that where the logic has to run through a lot of data or interact with uh, high powered backend services. Or the logic needs to be dynamic, right? Or the logic needs to be dynamic. Um, and then there's also the case where you have a, a, where you don't really trust the client. So you want to run the logic on the client to give the user a great experience, but then you want to rerun everything on the server because you don't, you know, you, you can't assume the client hasn't been compromised. I see. And the tricky bit here is not actually having to write it twice so that it went wrong in one place. That's the whole point. I mean, really, yeah, everybody tends to focus on the cost of building software, which, you know, is not cheap. But when you're talking about business and enterprise software, th- that software has got to run for 7, 10, 12 years. Right. And that means it's got to be maintained for all those years. And so if you end up writing your business logic twice, once in the client and once for the server, um, then you have to maintain it twice forever. Right. And I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've never done that and then been able to keep my logic in sync. There's always, um, bugs that creep in just because the, uh, you know, somebody implemented a, a change on either the server or the client and forgot the other one. Yeah, inevitably. And I think it's really a powerful idea. And have you really extended this now all the way down to phones? Yeah, it runs on Android and Windows phones. Nice. So, and and it runs in Azure. I mean, basically, you know, my my commitment has been for many, many years to make it run everywhere that essentially .NET can run or C Sharp. And uh, so... We've got it running on uh, Windows phones, Windows tablets with WinRT, uh, laptops, desktops, WPF. Um, you can put the server components in your own data center or you can run them in Azure. Um, so it's pretty flexible, pretty powerful. Not iOS uh, via Mono Touch? Oh, not quite yet. That's, that's an ongoing challenge, uh, primarily because they're... Uh, Apple legally prevents any sort of just-in-time compilation on oh, their devices. And huh. s- static generic methods uh, inside of C-sharp require just-in-time compilation because the generic type isn't known until runtime. Right. And so Xamarin is unable to support generic static methods. And... Sadly, <laughs> CSLA uses a lot of those. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. So we, we are working. Uh, uh, my colleague, Kevin Ford, is uh, actively working on uh, trying to come up with essentially a bunch of method overloads that get rid of all of the uh, or, or provide alternatives, I guess, is the way to yeah. say it, to all of the uh, static generics. And so that's going to be a you, hell of a refactor. Oh, it is. Yeah. And if we can pull it off, though, then we'll end up with the ability to run uh, the same where, where you can write code for iOS using those methods. And that same exact code will compile and run on Windows, WinRT, Android and so forth. You had a big refactor just to get things working in WinRT, didn't you? I remember talking about that one. W- WinRT was definitely uh, some work. Uh, luckily... The, the, the biggest work occurred when Microsoft introduced Silverlight. Right. Um, that, that was a, a really big deal and probably was 14 man months or something. Wow. I, I had a team of people helping me with that. And WinRT, um, it, it, well, and so getting to Silverlight meant that the phone was easy. Yeah. Um, because there, you know, basically the phone is Silverlight. Uh, WinRT is kind of like Silverlight. 
but there were enough differences that it definitely took some work, but it was really maybe uh, six weeks of my time is all. So mm-hmm. it was not as bad. And we've said this before on the show that, that you know, WinRT is like Silverlight 6. An awful lot of the patterns and technologies behind Silverlight map pretty neatly to what they did in Windows. Oh, yeah. If you're a Silverlight developer and you understand Silverlight, you basically already understand WinRT. Wow. You just need to add, uh, you know, platform specific knowledge like the share charm and the app bars and stuff. But yeah, 98% of everything you know from Silverlight just applies directly. That's really yeah, kind of an interesting truth. Because I was just thinking when you're saying oh, the amount of effort you went to get to Silverlight and then Silverlight gets sort of left behind. It's like, oh, that's got to suck. But mm-hmm. it just sets you up for being ready for Windows 8. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. If if Windows 8 wasn't so similar to Silverlight, mm-hmm. then the death of Silverlight would have really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, said. but as it is, I can't say that I care because that investment has carried forward so nicely. Yeah. It, it was really a conversion to XAML, you know, the XAML technology. Well, it, the, the, that's true, although WPF was that too right but the big thing with silverlight and winrt is the uh, running in a sandbox yeah restrictions um everything being asynchronous um you know those were the really big uh, differences um with winrt the uh, differences the the vast majority of my effort centered around uh differences in the way reflection works yeah i remember that conversation and and that was really the expensive part for you right was getting away from reflection well yeah i mean you can only go so far i csla doesn't use reflection to call any methods which is really where people you know get upset because of the performance implications but it still uses reflection to do type introspection. Um, and, you know, I think almost every framework out there does that. Uh, certainly, you know, like data binding and all, you know, most of the frameworks that we all know and love use reflection for introspection. Mm. And for whatever reason, and I have never been able to get a straight answer on this, the, uh, they just decided to completely break the type system at that low level. The actual type type <laughs> yeah. in, in .NET fundamentally changed between uh, .NET and uh, WinRT. It might have been about the security model because they did separate out the, you know, from the type, the ability to go reach in and grab the uh, properties and methods into a different object. So maybe they so that they could separate permissions? I'm not sure. What do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, I don't really think it had to do with that because you can do everything in WinRT that you, you know, could do. I, I, the one thing that I've heard is that it had to do with the um, WinRT type system because that type system is common between .NET, C++, and JavaScript. Ah, I see. And so this was done potentially as a layer of abstraction um, to separate us from that. Um, and okay, maybe I buy that, but then clearly they could have done a better job of making backward compatibility work with the new API. Mm. This episode of The Tablet Show is brought to you by Telerik Icinium, which enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. And the best part is Icinium lets you do all of this from within Visual Studio, including comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI as well as jQuery mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities. That makes Icinium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium, with its Visual Studio extension, is available on a subscription basis and part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com slash DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks and the Tablet Show. Well, let's talk about the new stuff. Tell us what's new in CSLA. Well, the big thing uh, with 8.1 is that 
uh, Microsoft, and in particular, uh, Tim Hewer's group, put back in the ability to get at the binding object uh, inside of XAML. And so to, to kind of lay this out in uh, Silverlight 2 introduced, of course, XAML and XAML binding, but there was no way to write a custom control where you could uh, get at the detailed binding information. And huh. so that kind of prevented writing certain kinds of controls or at least made them really challenging. And then in Silverlight 3 and higher, um, they'd added the ability to get a binding object. So uh, what this means is that if you want to write a, uh, a custom XAML control that does like binds to a property or binds to a specific type of object or something, in Silverlight 2, you had to use strings and then in the control reflect to find the type. Oh, yeah. And in Silverlight 3, you could actually just use a XAML binding expression to pass the reference in. Well, fast forward then to WinRT uh, in 8.0 was pretty much directly equivalent to Silverlight 2. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, for all of my XAML controls in CSLA, I reverted to my Silverlight 2 controls uh, to support uh, WinRT 8. But in 8.1, uh, similar to Silverlight 3, we got back the ability to interact with the binding uh, objects. And so now, uh, and to me, this is just a wonderful thing. The WinRT XAML controls for CSLA are the same code as the Silverlight and WPF controls. Wow. And we've heard that in a few places. I think the Telerik guys do that with their controls, too, where it's basically one code base and it's a switch to whether it runs as WPF or runs as Silverlight. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, they're, they're, whatever tiny bits of code difference are there, um, I handle through compiler directives, but right. it's basically all the same code at this point, which uh, obviously makes my life easier mm -hmm. as a maintain, you know, maintenance. But also, if you're trying to write XAML code, the more similar all the different flavors of XAML are uh, in terms of the control implementations, the easier it is um, to take. Uh, I suppose we shouldn't say that you you know copy paste, but people do sure. right? copy paste XAML from uh, Silverlight or WPF into WinRT. So it's it's a pretty huge benefit, I think. Right, yeah, for sure. So tell me about this binding object. Does that mean that if I'm you know nested in a in a control, it's easier for me to get to the binding context, the data context of the, of any one of those layers. Yeah. Basically, if you are implementing a control and on your control, you have a property and you want, uh, you expose it as a, uh, an attached property so that the, right. it should be bindable via XAML. Mm -hmm. Um, then now it is because um, somebody using your control can use a binding expression and in your property implementation, you have access to the binding. Right. And having access to the binding is a big deal because that allows you to look at the, uh, source object and the actual path that they entered, um, uh, you know, another, because the path might be a dot notation, hmm. um, to get to a child object or something. And this is even at design time. Um, no, this is at runtime. Okay. At design time, all of the, like IntelliSense and so forth, I believe is done, um, through some clever code introspection by Visual Studio. Okay. At least that's my understanding. Yeah, I think you're right. Wow. So that's very cool. Well, thanks, Tim Hewer and your group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, uh, and, uh, one of the maybe bigger things that this, if you implement your controls to support binding, and, and you should, um, one of the side effects is that then your controls can also go inside of templates, inside of like a data template. Right. Whereas if you're trying to do the kind of Silverlight 2 hacks around text, you know, using uh, string properties, there, there's no way to templatize that stuff. Yeah. And so, um, and obviously one of the things, if you're going to create a larger uh, XAML system, 
that you want the UI to be maintainable, you almost certainly are going to create a you know a lot of control and, and data templates. So what does that mean for CSLA? Well, what it means for CSLA is that um, now there is complete parity in, in any meaningful sense between uh, WinRT and Silverlight and, uh, and, the, and Windows Phone. So those three are essentially identical. And if you write your code for any of those three, that code will also work on full.net. So WPF or, or ASP.net or MVC and so forth. And that wasn't the case before. Well, it, it was, if you wrote your code for Silverlight or the phone, it was. So the real oh. big thing that, that's new now is that you know, you know, WinRT is added to the mix at full, uh, full level of parity. Got it. Wow. The, the reverse isn't always true in that it's possible uh, to write, um, dot net code on full dot net that can't compile uh, or run in WinRT or silverlight um, but if you follow kind of the uh, the samples and my my recommended way of building your uh, business layer um, I tend to always default to writing or, or using coding styles and approaches that are universal sure you know Rocky we started off this conversation asking about your position on JavaScript and I think You've just clearly outlined a strategy to keep C-sharp really, really relevant for object uh, business uh, app developers. Well, at the moment, it it's an interesting world we live in, right? Because <laughs> 90, 92% of all of the business computing platform is still Windows, yep. give or take. But... Um, I just saw a survey like in, in, in the U S over half of the people in the country interact with the internet, um, through tablets or phones. Yeah. And, but, but I, so I think that's an interesting, there's a lot of wiggle room in these numbers, right? Sure. Um, Well, I interact with the internet through a phone a lot, but I actually do work on a PC. Right. And I, I suspect that's true for the vast majority of these people that are being polled. Yeah, you know, I, you know, interact with, you know, I'm sitting in a bar or a restaurant talking to people and, and we're browsing the web to look up random trivia on, you know, Google or whatever. But when I go to work, I'm not working on my phone. I'm working on a PC. Well, at the same time, you know, just because I said C sharp doesn't necessarily mean Windows. That's right. Overwhelmingly, it does, but Android's not running Windows. And you can run Silverlight on a Mac. So, you know, I think one of the things that's happened here is that C Sharp started to spread outside of the Windows world. Right. And, and largely thanks to Xamarin. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, and because I, I think one of the, you know, quote unquote, death of Silverlight aspects is that Microsoft seems to be committed to making Silverlight work for the next decade on Windows. But I've, what seems hazy is, are they going to continue to make it work for the next decade on future versions of OS 10? Right. You know, and nobody seems to have an answer to that. So I generally personally assume the answer is no. <laughs> and it might continue to run. It's just sooner or later, Apple's going to do something. It's going to break it. And Microsoft's made not, not really spoken to any commitment to fix that. Yep. But you know, if you really want to run .NET on, OS 10, you can use mono. Right. And CSLA works on mono as well. I guess I forgot to mention that. So, yeah. Well, that also means it runs under Linux as well. That's exactly right. So, if you, uh, write, write your business logic using C sharp and, and CSLA, that your, your same code will recompile and run, or, or maybe in some cases, just the DLL will work, um, on, Every place except iPads. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this issue with Apple is really interesting. It, it seems so specific. Why would Apple do that? Well, from day one, they said that they didn't want to have any interpreted code running on iPhones. And then that kind of, you know, worked its way over to iPads. And it's always been about performance and user experience. Right. And, and 
okay, it's hard to argue with that. Um, they're a little hypocritical, I think, in that I, I bet you that JavaScript and HTML are interpreted. Yeah, bet. <laughs> Just so, guessing. Um, you know, it, Not a lot of compiled JavaScript out there, kids. So there is that one little uh, loophole, but... Not um, yet, Richard. Not yet. <laughs> give it time all things are just inevitable with javascript yes it's it's, it's a utopic future well and, and the problem is that you're such in a unique case i don't know that there's anybody else out there necessarily running into this issue uh, i guess be the xamarin guys would be the ones who would know the best how many folks are complaining why is this implemented over in uh, uh monotouch stack as well right well and and it's enough that it's listed on their um you know, website is they've got a page for limitations for the platform. Right. And, and, uh, you know, there's a couple other limitations too. And I don't recall what they are off the top of my head because they haven't impacted me. It's, it's this one that's really the killer. <laughs> it's just a showstopper because it, I mean, they're basically not going to implement it, which means you either re-engineer just for that, which I can't even imagine what that would take. That seems, that feels like, uh, the, as big a move as the, reflection changes yeah i would say it's on that level yep. yeah it's it's, uh, it's a big deal but we're exploring it because i think it is a big deal to be able to um support you know being you know if i think about the work that uh magenic is doing and the, mm -hmm. the number of customers that want to have clients that run at least on windows and ipads yeah I mean, it's just an overwhelming thing. That's the combination, Windows and iPads. And, and I suspect in Europe, it's probably Windows and Android, just from the right. numbers that I've seen. So if you have a story where you say, hey, you can write your you know, business logic and your all your data access and uh, you know, service calls once and have it run on Windows and the iPad, uh, yeah, that's amazingly compelling. And that's mm -hmm. really what I'm aiming for. Absolutely. And it, and that's the, exactly the story is as we're moving into this tablets in the enterprise conversation, it's really useful to have the set of tools you already know be able to work across all of these tablets. It, and it's so magical what you're talking about pulling off here that I almost think people don't understand. Like it's magic what you're attempting to pull off. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it's there's a lot of skepticism if, for people that have never seen it, um, and, and a lot of joy for people that have been using CSLA for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's you know, I mean, everything has its levels of complexity, and so it's not as though this comes for free. But it, you know, it's pretty close to free if you follow the guidelines. It it really does give you this kind of flexibility that's really hard to find out elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. But it, it sounds to me like the answer to your iPad question now when those customers come at you is to stick with a web app running ASP.NET on the back end. Right. Yeah. Which is sort of the lowest common denominator option. It is. Um, and of course, that does not get you offline scenarios and right. some of the other things that people want. So it's, yeah. it's yeah, it may or may not work. Yeah. And that certainly is one of the other research areas uh, that's we're actively working on with CSLA is how um, can CSLA uh, do things on the on a server like behind a, a web API or something mm -hmm. that makes it easier to implement a JavaScript based smart client. There's no way presently to and, and maybe ever to take your c-sharp business logic and get it to run in the browser right but um there may be ways even if you have to duplicate your business logic uh in javascript um at the very oh. least we might be <laughs> oh, sorry i just I, i'm sorry <laughs> i just couldn't swallow it all <laughs> But even if Sorry. that happens, Carl, um, you know, there's, there's things, um, that we can do to, to minimize the effort of at least projecting your, uh, CSLA business object data, um, out into the browser. So 
I suppose all things are inevitable, like I said. <laughs> Ooh. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about what it took to switch from uh, Windows Runtime 8.1 from 8.0, because I've heard some fairly significant stories that that's not a trivial thing. Well, I think it's harder for an application than it is for a framework. Okay. Uh, and and the reason being that a lot of what changed between 8.0 and 8.1 centered around a lot of the XAML templates mm, and uh, the... Um, the way that Microsoft organized their uh, default item templates in the projects yeah, for the UI. And, and I've certainly wrestled with that on various applications, but from a CSLA perspective, because the, the framework is not UI centered. Um, the, the core framework just upgraded and recompiled. There was no effort involved. And like I said, with the XAML, the CSLA.xaml namespace, um, I did rework that, but that was because I changed it back to use the same code as Silverlight and WPF. Right. And so I, I don't even count that as work. That was joy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, um, but yeah, it's true. If you take an existing uh, app that's got UI elements, like, you know, um, those are harder to upgrade uh, because the uh, Microsoft changed so much. And, and I guess I shouldn't say it that way. You can upgrade them, but if you want to start using the new project and item templates, then you're going to have to do a lot of rework because they changed the way the, a lot of the, uh, their underpinnings work there. Mm, yeah. And I, and that's sad, but it's not entirely surprising because the way I looked at it and, and still do look at it is that, if you think back to when Windows Forms was introduced with .NET 1, um, Microsoft had that uh, code region that um, was in your form. And it was all generated code. And there was a comment at the top saying, don't change this code. Which was really like a big flag waving saying, change this code. Yeah, yeah, so people sure, would change the code this. and then the designer would break. Nice. And... Now with the uh, XAML templates in WinRT, um, they put all that stuff into a common folder, but it's the same thing. There was a readme.txt that said, don't change this code. <laughs> <laughs> so <you laughs> we know. dare you. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, and and uh, so that's somewhat better in 8.1 than it was in 8.0. They, they reduced some of that common code. Um, moved some of the default styles are actually built into the framework now. So, um, but I still think they have some distance to go to get the, um, the WinRT designer experience, uh, to the level of kind of modern Windows forms, if you will. Yeah. You said that ages ago that, you know, no one's ever risen to the level of the WinForms designer. I don't know that it's even possible. Maybe it's not. Certainly, WinRT is way better than Silverlight, and Silverlight right. was generally better than WPF. Yeah. Or at least Silverlight 4, um, in terms of out, the out-of-the-box experience. You know, because if you pick up WPF, drag some controls onto the form, and hit F5, you've got a black-and-white screen. <laughs> and with uh, Silverlight 4, Silverlight 5, if you did the same thing, you'd also get a black and white screen, but at least you'd get nice pop-ups for uh, data validation as the user entered um, you know, data because the, there was a, the default style for the validation handlers at least looked good. So Silverlight was slightly better than WPF, but one of the upsides of, of the uh, common folder and some of the built-in styles for WinRT is that when you fire up a WinRT project, drag a few controls onto it and hit F5, it actually looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it is much closer to the Windows Forms experience than we've had with WPF or Silverlight. Yeah. Well, and it, I think the distinction here is that Win 8 and 8.1 and really Metro have a distinct design language the way that WinForms did. 
I mean, we don't think about wind forms in context of design language, but I read that manual. They were very serious about the way stuff was supposed to look. And so, of course, the defaults would look like that. And now we've sort of, after so several years in the desert of WPF, it's kind of nice to be coming back into more of an oasis of, we have a plan, follow these guidelines. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, especially as a developer, not a designer, because I, you know, I need to rest on the shoulders of people that know what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Me too. It's, my whole career has been built on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So not to change gears terribly here, Rocky, but it occurs to me and I actually got a tweet that hinted this idea uh, from uh, Steve Ognabene, who was asking uh, some questions as well. How much have you typecast your career because of CSLA? You know, like if you had a chance, if you knew what CSLA was going to do to you, would you still have built it? Because we've been talking about this as long as I've known you. Like it's it's a permanent part of your life. Yeah, I started working on it in 1996, I think. Holy man. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so it has had a dramatic impact on my life and my career, uh, mostly positive, um, <laughs> but certainly it's, yeah, and if I had to do over again, I would do it again because, okay. you know, it, uh, on the balance, it's, it's immensely positive, but it certainly has prevented me, you know, the time commitment to uh, building and maintaining this framework over all these years has prevented me from doing some other things that I have always thought would have been cool. <laughs> really? I always thought it was a really big of you to basically give away this framework as a sample. It started as a sample in your book and then you built it up and built it up in what could have been a monetized product. You decided to just give it away and to keep giving it away and keep building on it and keep giving it away. And I just thought that that's, that's really an awesome thing, Rocky. Well, thank you. And you were doing that back in the 90s before this whole open source thing came along, but it's open source now, isn't it? It is, yeah. But, you know, you, know, you say before open source came along, but early in my career, um, I got untold benefit from what at the time was called freeware and shareware. shareware yeah. Right. Um, and... You know, in, in some ways based my career and, and was able to do some pretty amazing things that boosted my career. Thanks to the work of people, um, and, you know, at the time it was on the Vax, but, you know, I'd get these, uh, uh, people that lived on the Vax back then would remember Decus, the DEC user group. We'd get these magnetic tape reels, uh, a couple times a year. And it was like a treasure trove. I mean, there was just <laughs> compilers and um, internet protocols and, I mean, all oh, utility programs. And uh, some of those I was able to bring into, you know, bear on my work and, and do things that, you know, made users happy and thus made my boss happy. And, you know, you know how these things go. Mm, sure. And uh, so I was, I, because of that, I suppose, somewhat predisposed to the idea of, um, you know, I, you know, catchphrases bother me, but you know, this pay it forward idea. Yeah. It's um, not a bad one. It's not, it's a, bad not a bad one. And so there were a whole bunch of people that did a bunch of stuff for free that I benefited from, uh, immensely. Sure. Um, now, you know, all that said, there were a couple of times, um, in the uh, early 2000s when I really did think about making CSLA into a commercial product. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, just the, you know, the amount of work involved and, and whatnot. But ultimately I, I chose not to because, uh, and to be fair for selfish reasons, but if I had done that, I would have ended up being the owner of a company instead of somebody who's building cool software. Right. Yeah, you still get back to what is it you actually want to do with your life. Well, that's exactly right. And so, yeah, could I have made more money by becoming a CEO instead of doing what I love? Probably. But, you know, what, what's, we only get, a, you know, we only get to go around this thing once. <laughs> so, right. 
you know, do you really want to spend the bulk of your adult life doing something you don't love just because it makes you tons of money? Sure. And yeah, nobody wants to be a slave. Absolutely. Well, and you feel like you've got the perfect job right now. And, and in some ways, it seems like Magenic, I mean, some some part of Magenic's business is providing service to CSLA for their customers, right? Yeah, where appropriate, we will recommend and use CSLA uh, when we build software for our customers. And uh, that's kind of a two-way street sometimes because uh, various enhancements to CSLA have come from those projects where, you know, the, the development teams run into a, an issue I'd never thought of. And they say, boy, I wish that you'd, you know, do this. Mm. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> you right. know, um, but then the flip side is, of course, that, um, those customers and, and, you know, people that are not Magenic customers get, um, essentially free access to all the work that's gone into CSLA too. Sure. Sure. Rocky, any last words before we wrap up here? No, I think, you know, life is exciting right at the moment. It is, isn't it? I think it's, you know, you can look at what's going on and and either with trepidation or excitement. And, And I think, you know, I look at it much more at this point with excitement because the, um, the kinds of user experience and the kinds of applications being built. Um, I really personally spend huge amounts of time in WinRT and I love it. I, you know, if, and if I couldn't do that, I almost certainly would have, uh, you know, be living in an iPad or Android world because the uh, old fashioned Windows apps are, are you know, they're going to fade and we're, we're headed toward a pretty interesting future. Indeed, my friend. Well, stay well, and thanks for talking to us again. Thank you. All right, and we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too